are in 1 Peter, and we are in chapter 5. If you've turned there in your Bible, I, I'm so glad you have. And uh, we are actually today finishing up our series, Strangers and Exiles. Oh, right? We're, we're done with it. I mean, and it's been, it's been full, and I, I encourage you to go back and listen uh, to the content. Uh, you can go to our podcast page and, and check out the content there and just really be um, diving in some more into, into what it means to be a stranger in exile. We've, we've, we've been tackling this, this uh, book, this letter from Peter written to the church and written to a, a church that was struggling with persecution and suffering. And, and you know, uh, the, the church today struggles uh, not, not totally the same way, but we should. Sometimes we, we don't struggle because we, we've chosen comfort more than we've chosen obedience to Christ. So we've, we've really taken a hard look at what it means to be a stranger and an exile, that, that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer citizens of this world. We are now foreigners of the world. And, and what, it, what it gives us a freedom to understand is this. When we look all around the world and at the chaos going on, at the government politics and everything that, that just riles us up, we can be okay because we don't have to fit in. We don't fit in. We're strangers and exiles to that. We once were there, and, and while we were there, by the way, while we were fitting into the world, we were strangers and exiles to God's kingdom. We were foreigners of God's kingdoms, enemies of God. But God and His faithful love has drawn us into relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And, it, and when we come to relationship with God, we are now strangers and exiles to the world. And it's such an important thing to remember that we don't fit in and we don't have to fit in. We have a different king. We have a different code. We have a different way to live. And, and, and the book has really looked at ways that we are to live as strangers and exiles. How, how do we live in a world that's not our home? And today, as we go to the end of 1 Peter, we're in chapter 5, we're going to read verses 6, 6 through 14. What we're going to see today is that, that Peter really just sums it up. He says we're going to stand firm. We need to stand firm in being strangers and exiles. Stand firm even when you don't fit in. And, and he sums up what he's already said throughout the whole letter. In fact, if you've paid attention throughout this whole series, he, he repeats himself a lot. He, he reiterates these ideas over and over and over, and it's important for us to, to see that these are important things. So we're, we're going to do a review today because that's what Peter does. We're going to see what it is to stand firm. That's today's sermon title, Stand Firm. And uh, I'm going to read the text. I'll pray for us. We'll read the text, and then we'll, we'll get to work in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us this freedom through faith in Jesus Christ that we don't have to fit in to the way of the world. And God, for so many of us who, who have expressed faith in Christ, it, there is a, a distinct tension when we walk about our community, Lord, when we watch the news, when we hear the debates, when we see people wrestling with things that really don't matter or things that have already been settled by you. So Lord, we ask that you would settle our hearts, that you would help us understand we don't fit in and we don't have to fit in, but we are, we are to be good citizens of your kingdom. And God, today as we look at the summary of what that looks like, God, I pray you'd open our hearts, open our minds to be receptive. You'd humble us so we can hear from you. And God, if there's positions or preferences or, or places of comfort that we want to find ourselves resting in, God, challenge us there. That we would move into a faithful, obedient relationship to you and with you. We thank you and praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. You'll notice we're going back a couple verses uh, from what Alistair covered last week, and we're going to cover those again. Uh, it just makes sense to, uh, to, to look at that. Actually, I'm going to go through 5. I'm going to start at 5 and go through 
14. In the same way, you who are younger, be, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares on Him because He cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone that he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Well, let's break that apart today and, and really dive into this review or this summary as Peter finishes this letter. And he's writing again to people who are feeling the pressure of being a stranger and an exile, who, who feel like they don't maybe have a home, who don't fit in, who, who are in the minority, who maybe be the ones that are the dangerous ones or the ones that are the oddballs in society, the ones that are the, the, the bigots. But they are finding themselves maybe at times cornered or trapped. Peter encourages them and he he encourages them today. So we're going to look at three things that he says here as he sums up, three things that are important to understand for us to stand firm as strangers and exiles. Number one is this. To stand firm, we must be humble. Be humble. And I know that doesn't seem like it works together very well, right? To stand firm means I'm going to be proud. I'm going to be guarded. I'm going to be defensive. I'm going to be ready to attack. No, standing our ground, we can still be humble. And, and Peter has shown us that throughout this text. Let's look at the text here, 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, Alistair covered that last week, and it's not just talking about young people being subject to their pastors or young in the faith being subject to their pastors. It goes on, and it, and it clarifies it even more deeply and more richly because we look at these things and say, well, oh, yeah, you see, women should, should be subject to their husbands, and that's, that's totally what it says in Scripture. And, oh, look, at you, you need to listen to your elders and obey. Well, those are true statements, but when it comes down to it, here's what he means. All of you, all of you, that means me too. It means husbands and pastors. It means all of us. All of you, what? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God resists the proud. So when you're standing firm, be careful that it's not in pride. Because God resists the proud. And what does it say? He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you at the proper time. Not at the time you think you should be exalted, but at the proper time. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. So let's, let's talk about this, this submission or this humility. It is, it is a submission, and, and Peter has talked about it. I'm going to use some of the text we've already gone through in 1 Peter just to show that. We saw it in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13a. It says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. So when they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe your good works and they will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. 
Interesting there, the submission, this humility, that, this good conduct, this honorable conduct toward people. Why? Why do we do that? We stand firm as aliens and strangers or as exiles and, and strangers in, in, this, in this world. We stand firm humbly, though, submissive, honoring others. Why? So they observe our good works and they will glorify God on the day that he visits. So there's a connection between our humility and our goodness and our, and our humble, uh, being humble before man and God. There's a connection between that and God getting glory. And that, that there's no accusation against us. We saw that last week or two weeks ago with, when Larry brought the message on, on submission again. He kind of did a 2.0 on, on that section. Submitting to authority, every kind of human authority because of the Lord. First Peter 2.18, he goes on, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only uh, to the good ones, but also to the cruel, for it brings favor if... Because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Now, we, we very much cleared it up that day when we talked about this passage, slavery is wrong and we should not uh, say slavery is great or should, should say condone it. He was speaking to people who were enslaved, Christians, who in that society at that time were property. He's also talking to people who were employees of bosses that were good. There were those who were good and those who were cruel. And he says, Submit. It brings favor. Submit. It brings favor because of a good conscience of God if someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. So we submit. There's this humility there, and it's hard to do that. It's hard for us. We don't like to submit. We don't like to humble ourselves. We like to defend ourselves. We like to feel confident. We like to feel comfortable. Things, things become, to become uh, we start to question things about our own life. We'll see some of this in a minute that, that we, we elevate as the most supreme. And, and so when we elevate these things as the most supreme, we have to defend them and stand firm in them instead of standing firm in the hope we have in Christ. He exhorted in chapter 3, Peter did, in the same way, wives, submit to your husbands so that even if some disobey the word. So, so wives, he's encouraging Christian wives to even submit to un, unbelieving husbands. Why? So that they might be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. When there's pure, reverent, good, honorable submission going on in Christians, God is elevated and people can be one to Jesus Christ. But he again exhorts everyone. He says, finally, all of you, please do not miss this today because it's so easy for us to read Scripture and say, oh, look at that, they're so misogynistic. Oh, man, they're, they're so, they're so you know, uh, pushing authority. No, th- look, at, this is what it comes down to. All of you, all of us, be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. All of us. For the glory of God. For the good of the body of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 13, he goes on. Who then will harm you if you're devoted to doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, here's here's the switch for humility. In your hearts, regard Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. See, what, what's supreme? What do we stand on supreme? The hope that's in us. You do this yet with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage uh, you or, or your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Right, that they really will have nothing bad to say. And if it's something bad to say, uh, and it's really something good that you're doing, they're going to be put to shame. 
For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. Larry said it very well two weeks ago. I'm going to kind of read his summary of submission. He says this, God is asking us to submit, and I'll add, to be humble, to be compassionate, to be gracious, to, to start with hope in Christ. He's asking us to submit because he wants us to be model citizens living in a world that's not our home. So we're model citizens of, of God's kingdom, and then we can be model citizens here, so that others will have no legitimate accusations against his people. No legitimate accusations against his people. It was, it was tough. I don't know if you caught it when Larry said, then why do I keep setting my speedometer at two miles an hour over the speed limit? Because that can be a legitimate accusation from the world against God's people. I, I was on vacation that week, right? And, and uh, my wife and I and kids were in Montana. And actually, the, the day we listened to this, I think it was a Tuesday, we listened to the podcast and I downloaded it. And we were driving back from, from a neighboring city and there wasn't a lot of cell reception, so I downloaded it and wanted to listen to Larry's sermon. And I'm, I'm cruising along on the road, on the highway. And in Montana, the, the speed limit used to be reasonable and prudent. That was the speed limit. Don't you love it? It's whatever you think is reasonable and prudent, right? If you have a, have a little Datsun, maybe it's a little slower. If you have a big Ferrari, it's, it's quicker, right? Reasonable, well, it, it changed because of different government regulations. And so now it's 70 miles an hour on the two-lane highway like Highway 89. That's the speed limit. And if you want to just kind of push it up a little bit, you can. So I'm cruising down the highway, maybe at uh, two miles an hour over the speed limit. And I'm listening to Larry's sermon online. And my wife and I are listening to this. And, and he's like, you know, we, we don't want anyone to have an accusation, a legitimate accusation against God's people. And he, he said, so why do I, and he's, he's talking about himself, why do I set my cruise at two miles an hour over the speed limit. I just went, hmm, okay, and get cruise. I'm like, okay, okay, I, I get it. It's so difficult, though. It's like, but why? You know, Because I don't want a legitimate accusation, a legitimate stronghold or handle to be put on my, on my back or on your back. If someone accuses us, let it be for illegitimate reasons, not legitimate reasons. What are some legitimate reasons or, or, or uh, things that, that are illegitimate, not, not legitimate reasons. Well, here's, here's what we fight for. We take stands outside of humility, outside of submission, and, and these are the stands that we take. And this is usually what, what causes us to act. We fight for things like peace, right? I'm, I'm going to fight for peace. And we fight for peace, and we destroy people by doing that. Right? In order to, to find peace, we hurt people. Now, peace is good. And I think these are some good things that we should aspire towards. But ultimately, they're not found first and foremost amongst each other. They're found in Christ. So we fight for peace. How about you? Do you fight for peace in your household? Hopefully, maybe you do. But, but how, how bad do you fight for it? Where does it go? Uh, do, you, do you fight for control? We fight for control, don't we? I want to control a situation. I want to control a scenario. I want to control my life or other people's lives, I fight for justice, especially when it's justice for me because of someone else treating me poorly. And some of us fight for justice for others, but we fight for justice. We, we have to take a stand. We fight for comfort, right? We fight for comfort. I'm going to do what's comfortable for me. We fight for life. Like, I just want better health. I want more health. I, I'm going to do whatever the health kick is so that I extend my life by a few minutes. We fight for status, that I would be recognized, that I would be seen as something. And we fight for identity. 
And we fight for identity in all the wrong things. We identify ourselves by how much we make, by who we're married to, by what, what kind of quality of life we have, by what we, what, we, what we possess, by how our children behave, by how we're viewed in the community. We fight for identity. And, and those are the things, if we continue just to fight for those things, we are not chasing after humility. We're modeling pride. And see, those are the kinds of things, when we fight for those things and we take stands in those kinds of things, that can actually be illegitimate things. And actually, will end up being legitimate reasons people can accuse us. But if we would, if we would stand on humility first, knowing that, that as, we, as we cast our cares on Him, as we trust Him, as we humble ourselves, I would rather be accused of being humble. I'd rather be accused of doing good. I'd rather be accused of saying, I'm not going to break God's law instead of conforming to man's law. There are things we can be accused of rightly and still be humble and submissive, submissive towards God. So he says, stand firm and be humble. In the last part of this, this passage, uh, verses 5 through 7, I wanted to show you this. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. We are to clothe ourselves with humility. And, and he goes on talking about God resisting the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, right, so that he might exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Listen, uh, these things that we fight for, this pride and this peace and control and justice and comfort and more life and status and identity, as we fight for those things, they become this huge trench coat of weight and burden on our shoulders that we are trying to carry. They are the cares of our life. And what God is saying is, humble yourselves. Don't fight for those things. I'm going to fight for you. And, and what we have to do, and Alistair said this last week, when we cast our cares on him, we do so because he cares for us. But it's not enough just to show him our cares. Like, God, I'm struggling here. God, look at this here. Uh, I, I know you see this. I just want to make sure you saw it and I saw it. I see that you see it. Alistair said what? He said, to cast your cares is actually to throw those things off. I know that I've, I've worn these old duster jackets and stuff during doing horse work and when it's raining out and, and they get burdened, they get heavy, they get soaked. And listen, if I came in my house with that, first of all, my wife would kill me, right? But if I, if I came in my house with that and decided, that's okay, I can, I, I'm good, I'm going to carry this around. I'm going to sit on my furniture, I'm going to walk through my house. Again, my wife would probably kill me, right? But it would not be a release of a burden at all. And see, when we're talking about humbling ourselves, what we're talking about is, is taking that overcoat off, all, all of those things we fight for, that peace and control and justice and comfort and life and status and identity outside of Jesus, we take that worry off and we throw it aside. And then we clothe ourselves instead with humility, trusting in God who is faithful, in God who loves us. We cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And see, that produces humility. And when I can, when I can take the burden of these, these illegitimate fights off my shoulders, I can then stand in the identity I have through faith in Jesus Christ. I can stand on him. He's my hope. He's my, he's my everything. He is, he is what, what helps me move and helps me live and breathe. And see, I have peace and I have hope and he's in control and he has given me justice on Jesus, right? And it, it wasn't justice. It was satisfied on Jesus, but I should, have, I should have got that justice, right? 
I deserve that punishment. But it was placed on Jesus. So I have justice that's on Jesus. And now I have comfort and hope. And I have life. I have eternal life. And I have a new status. And listen, I have a new identity because it's in Christ Jesus. We stand firm there. We stand firm in Christ Jesus. And when we stand firm in Christ Jesus, we can humble ourselves. We can clothe ourselves with humility. Stand firm. Be humble. Number two, we stand firm. He says, be watchful. Not only be humble, but be, be, be watchful. Look at the text as it goes on in verses 8 and 9. He says, be sober-minded, be alert. Now, we've seen this before in the text. He says, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Listen, here we see the devil described as this roaring lion. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see him described as the deceiver or as the accuser, or as the, the serpent. Listen, he no doubt has great power and intelligence, and he has a host of demons who can assist him in the attacks against God's people. He is a formidable enemy, but he is a defeated enemy. He is a defeated enemy. Now, we must still recognize and respect him and, and acknowledge that he is going to try to mess with us. That's why we are to be alert. That's why we're to stand firm. It's interesting that this idea of, of like seeing him or recognizing him and respecting him, it's hard to say that, right? We need to respect the devil. Like, who says that? But, but what is it? It's a healthy respect, right? It's like, it's like a contractor, and I, I think about an electrician. I, I, how, do they, how do they handle electricity? How do they go into that project uh, with all that current going on? Well, number one, they usually they turn it off. But how, how do they handle it? You know what? They respect it. The first thing i got to do is respect that. I, and I'm not, I don't like electricity. I, I don't have enough respect for it, right? I, I just stay way, way far away. Electricians, like, like Rob, like, you know, you work on electricity a lot. Like there's, man, that, you, if you can respect that, you can be level-headed about it. You can go about it and, and take care of business. Once in a while, it'll bite you, right? It's better to turn it off. But we need to recognize and respect that he is dangerous, he wants to destroy. He wants to lead us back to what we knew and who we were. You understand that? That's what Satan's trying to do. He wants to lead you back. It's, it's difficult to be humble. It's difficult to stand firm in our faith. It's difficult to be strangers and exiles. It's difficult to live in a world that's not our home. And Satan knows this, so he says, you know what? I'll, I'll take you back to what you knew. I'll take you back to who you were. It's, it's so much more familiar. And even if it wasn't great, it's more familiar, and we tend to settle for what's familiar, don't we? First Peter 1, Peter said this earlier in this book. With your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, saying sober-minded, be alert, be ready, uh, be ready for action. This is a call to action, and, and to be sober-minded. Remember what we said this as we talked about this passage, and even today it's, it's really good to do this. Sober-minded means don't be drunk. Don't look at the world through beer goggles, falsely. Right? Look through the lenses of Scripture by the power of God's Spirit, by the authority and, and information from God's Spirit. That's what we're to do. So be alert, be ready. Don't think wrongly about something. Go think rightly through the God's Word. We'll see that in a minute. As obedient children, it says do not be conformed. So he says, Peter is exhorting, stay alert. Because if you don't, here's what happens. You'll be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. 
But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. See, we've come to faith in Christ, and we don't, we're no longer that way. He's, he's made all things new. The old is gone. Behold, He's made all things new. But the temptation is, and the deceiver would want you to say, I, I'm more comfortable there. I'm more familiar there. Let me go that direction. And God's like, no, I, I've made you new. You're now in me. You're mine. That's stranger in exile land. That you're a foreigner to that. Let's live in the world as though it's not your home. God's calling us out of our former ways, of our former life, of our former identity. So how do we escape the deceiver? If, if he's calling us out to stand firm, how do we escape? How do we set our minds for action? How do we, how do we be sober-minded? We know the truth. That's how. Satan is who? He is the deceiver. He tells lies. lies. God, God creates and Satan counterfeits. That's all he wants to do is deceive. And he would deceive us if it were not for the Word of God and for the Spirit of God. And the better we know the Word and the more in step we keep with the Spirit, the clearer we can see Satan's deceptions. So stand firm. We stand firm and we're watchful knowing that he's out there. We see this this testing things against Scripture because he'll deceive us. He'll throw a lie out there. He'll put that seed of doubt in our minds. And what should we do with that? Let it linger? Mole on it a little bit? Let it go farther and deeper into our heart? No. We ought to test it. We're, we're, we're exhorted to do that in 1 John. John says this in 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Don't let that seed even come in. No, that's not true. And, re, and what does he say? Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Doesn't that sound like a novel idea? Like everything that comes our way, everything that's getting thrown at us, these lies from Satan, shouldn't we say, you know what, let me check that first. Let me do it my own fact check from Scripture and see if that's accurate or true. And listen, the, the more we get uh, in the Word of God and renewed by the Word of God, the more God's Spirit checks that right, right at the door. He, he's like, the Spirit of God's like the doorman, right? And, if, and, and for some reason, we're not in step with the doorman or we gave him a break for a few minutes and it comes in a little bit. Now we have the Word of God. Now we can actually see, is this true or is it not? But the more you're in the Word, man, that, that doorman, that Spirit of God stands there ready and, and gives you that, nope, that's not of God, nope, that's not of God, nope, that's not. And we just know, and we start quoting Scripture, we start, we start knowing what God would want us to do. To test everything, to see if they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now is already in the world. There are all kinds of Antichrists in the world, right? And, and this is how you test it. It says this is how you test it. It's not some fancy magic spell. It, it's the, the false accusation that comes in will not point you deep, more, deeper, more deeply to a relationship with Jesus, or more deeply into fondness of Christ, or, or raise your affections for Jesus. It will lessen those. It will take you away from those. It will take your eyes away from Jesus, right? Because they aren't confessing Christ. They're confessing something else. That's right away how you know. Is this pointing me to Jesus? Is this pointing me to obedience of the word of God? Or is it questioning that? Or is it drawing me away? Am I finding myself distracted? That's how you know. He says in verse 4, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. These spirits, these accusations, you've conquered them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Isn't that an amazing passage? Greater is the one living inside of you and me 
than the one that lives in this world. So we can stand firm in resistance to Him. And we, we test everything against the Spirit of God and against the Word of God. Yes, the devil is real. But our Lord has confronted Him and has defeated Him once and for all. He who is in us is greater than the one who prowls around us. Amen? He who is in us is greater than the one that prowls around seeking to devour us. He might be real. He might be dangerous. But he is a defeated foe. And God has granted us the grace to resist him. So resist and stand firm. There's a great picture of this in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes this. This is a, a famous passage putting on the armor of God. I want to read this to you. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in his vast strength. Right? Be strengthened in the Lord and his vast strength. Not something else. His Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. We have to stand firm. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Since, that, since our battle is that, says for this reason, take up the full armor of God so you might be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, to take your stand. We've got to prepare ourselves. Part of that is, is our humility and submission to God and our, then our reverence for God's Word and, and our heeding of our heart towards God's Spirit. To so stand, therefore, with, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and with intercessions for all the saints. What is this, what is this saying? To stand firm, to be watchful, is to get ready, to get girded, to get in the Word of God, and then stand your ground in that readiness. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you cannot afford, we cannot afford to be lazy. We cannot afford to sit back and say, oh, you know what? He's taking care of it all on the cross. He said, it's finished. So I'm just going to sit here and wait. It, it is finished. The, the work he did on the cross was enough to complete your forgiveness, your redemption, and, and it secure your eternal life with him. But it is not finished. We have a life to live here in preparation for eternity. And Satan is prowling around looking for someone to devour. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be devoured. I want to stand firm, ready, watchful, alert, praying at all times, being discerning from the Word of God and by the Spirit of God so that I can stand firm and resist the schemes, the lies of the devil and cling to the faith I have in God. And all the while, I'm clinging to him, standing firm, number three, being hopeful, being hopeful. First Peter 5, 10-11. He says, he continues here as he's closing his, his book, his letter. The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore and establish and strengthen and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. God has given us His grace. He's poured it out on us. And, in, and through that grace and through faith in that grace, we now can stand firm. 
Now we have hope for eternal life in him. And we await that. Our hope is in the grace of God. Our hope is in the forgiveness accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. He said it earlier, and this is kind of the theme verse for the whole, whole series. In chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, you, and, and you are a chosen race. It's you that are, have, have repentantly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now listen, how can we stand firm? This is the next verse. How can we stand firm? Because once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why can we stand firm? Because he is our everything. And we owe him everything. Listen, we have sinned. The Bible says that every single person has sinned and separated themselves from God. All of humanity is in the same boat, in the same place. They are doomed. And Jesus recognized that. And he saw, he saw the, the, the shortcomings that, that we couldn't live up to any standard or measurement of, of God's holiness and perfection. That we would be eternally separated because of our sin. So, so God sent Jesus, right? Jesus came in the flesh. This is God in the flesh. He put on flesh for the reason that he could die in our place. That he could take the punishment of our sin upon himself. And he did. He allowed himself to be crucified. He laid his life down. And he shed his blood for my sins. He shed his blood for your sins. So that through faith in Christ, not through good works, not through, not through just like, oh yeah, Jesus is a good guy, but through faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross, the atonement, the wrath of God that he took on for us, and, and the punishment that was satisfied on Christ, through our faith in him, we're made children of God. We're given mercy because he took the wrath that we deserved. And that mercy should lead us to this deep hope now. We have this deep hope in Christ alone. There's, there's nowhere else to hope. See, Jesus died for our sins and then he didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously from the grave, conquering death, conquering Satan, conquering sin once and for all. Nowhere else on this planet, in all of the time of this planet, can you find that kind of hope. There's no other solution that has ever been created or ever been thought of that could take us there. Only Jesus Christ. So when we find our hope only in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, then we rest in Him and we are hopeful in Him and we move forward in that hope and we stand firm in that hope. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to this one of these final passages, Romans chapter 5, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 5. If you're in the Gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and then Romans. This is a beautiful display of this hope we have. You see, we have this hope because we put faith in Jesus Christ. That we've turned from our own ways, we've turned from our own pride, we've turned from all of our fears and the desire to control and for comfort and for, for, for peace or justice that we deserve. We've turned from what we think we deserve or want. We've turned to faith in Christ instead and it, it's, it's produced something huge in us. Romans chapter 5, we're gonna, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. So therefore, so therefore, since we have been justified by faith, therefore, since we've put our faith and trust in Christ, so this passage is talking about and talking to all of those who have put their faith in Christ. If you haven't, this, you can't have this passage. You can't, it's not for you. You need to understand that. You, you can't claim hope in Christ if you haven't put faith in Christ. But for, for those who have, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace. Well, wasn't that something we were fighting for on our own? Right? This justice and peace. I want, I want, no, we have peace because of faith in Christ. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's an amazing place. That's a, a place of comfort. That's a place of status. But we've, we've achieved that through, through God's grace only. And then therefore we don't boast in ourselves. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We say, look what he's done. Look what his grace has done. Look what his mercy has accomplished. Look, at, look what my faith has given me, what Christ has given me through my faith. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we also boast in our afflictions. He says, it's not going to be all hunky-dory. You wanted to fight for peace. He fought for peace. He established it. It's, it's secure for you for eternity. But in this life, you will have trouble because in this life, he had trouble. They crucified him, remember? We boast in our afflictions. That's a change of events, isn't it? We don't like to boast in our afflictions. We like to cry. I'm, a, I'm kind of a whiner sometimes, right? We boast in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. Right? If we're going to stand firm, we're going to be hopeful. Well, what, is it, what produces it? Well, faith and God's grace, right? And, and trials and endurance and character it produces hope. And this hope, listen, this is so important. This hope will not disappoint us. This hope will not disappoint us. Listen, this world will always disappoint us, right? Even if it temporarily pleases us, it will ultimately fail us and disappoint us. Hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We stand firm and we are hopeful. James says this about our, our trials and afflictions. Consider it pure joy. Joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So what, what happens with this? The testing of our faith, which is, is, is rooted in the hope of Christ, he says, and let your endurance have its full effect. Right? When we're hopeful, when we have faith in, in Christ and that endurance is produced, let it have its full effect so that you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And we, we fight for what we lack all the time. Here's a way we can lack nothing. Here's, here's a way we can grow up when we trust in Him, when we run the race with endurance, even when our faith is tested. Be hopeful that through faith and through trials, we are growing up. He concludes his letter back in chapter 5 of 1 Peter through Silvanus. Now this could be either he's sending this letter with Silvanus to the churches and to spread it around, it could be that he's having Sylvanus scribe this letter, whatever way it was, here's what it says. So through Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. For you and I, as we stand firm, as, as, as you and I are, are strangers and exiles, we have to understand this is the true grace of God. What he has accomplished through us, through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the hope that we now have through faith in him, this is the true grace of God. And the exhortation here with an exclamation mark after he says, stand firm in it. The exhortation to you and I is to stand firm in the true grace of God. And I would tell you this, do whatever it takes to stand firm in the true grace of God. 
and, and it's, it, it is going to mean especially that we are strangers and exiles. It is going to absolutely mean that we will not and do not fit into this world. Stand firm in the true grace of God. He goes on to say, She who is Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. What, what does that mean? It's like, oh, is this some kind of revelation thing? No, it's probably talking about the church in Rome. She, the church in Babylon or Rome, chosen together with you. So saying that you're not the only one. This is a great thing. This is, this is to reduce pride in us and increase humility. Hey, you're not the only one that's special, right? But it's also to say, you're suffering. Guess what? You're not the only one. There are churches all over and individuals all over who are still suffering. He says, he says Babylon, the church in Rome, chosen together with you, sends, her, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. And we should, right? Grace and peace should abound to you and I who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's the only place we can find grace. It's the only place we can find peace. Peter's, are encur- Peter's readers are encouraged here to stand firm and to know that they are not alone as they do. Finally, I just want to encourage you from 1 Peter 4.19 that as strangers and exiles, all of this standing firm We do it, and while we do it, we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. That's that's what standing firm in our faith is all about. That's what being a stranger in exile is about. That's what living in a world that's not our home is all about. It's entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? God bless you guys. Would you stand with me as we pray and continue to worship? Father, we're so thankful for your word and the, and the power that is in it. We're thankful that you called us to be strangers and exiles, but God, you haven't only called us, you've equipped us for it. That through humility, through repentant faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we would be made new. We would have a hope that endures. We would have a peace that endures. We would have a, a new identity that, that would last into eternity. God, in that and through that, Help us to stand firm. Help us to be okay not fitting into the world. Help us be okay being strangers and exiles. Help us be okay even when we're persecuted or we struggle or suffer for doing good. Help us to be humble. God, help us to be watchful and alert. Help us to be hopeful always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.